0: Here's what I will say. If you want to start using a tool, you can start with any tool, writing tool. But what you should not do is don't try to learn how to use a tool and execute your research project. That would frustrate you. You know, imagine you're learning how to type while writing your dissertation.
1: Welcome everybody to the 52nd episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone science-adjacent and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host Jaron. Hi. AI has been hard to miss with all the new tools and products popping up. And some of them are really very useful for academics. Uh, Today we talk with the Twitter-validated AI expert, namely Mushtaq Bilal. Uh, He has been keeping us all up to date about the best AI tools for academics and how to use them on his Twitter account. And today we have him on our podcast. Super exciting, of course. So let's start. Welcome, Ustak. And thank you so much for joining our podcast today.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. Yes. It's very nice to have you as a guest. And we are, of course, very interested to be talking about AI tools for academics. Uh, But before we get started with that, we would like to ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Who are you? Do you have any fun or weird hobbies? Uh what do you do and what is your expertise?
0: Okay. So, um I don't have any fun or weird hobbies. I'm a very boring person in in that, you know, in that way. Uh but uh I have a PhD in comparative literature uh, from Binghamton University. Uh, I did that as a Fulbright fellow from 2017 to 2020 2022. Yeah. Before my PhD, I used to be a naval officer in the Pakistan Navy, and I served in the Navy for 15 to 16 years before switching over to academia. And after uh, finishing my PhD, I went back to Pakistan for four to five months to teach at a business school, and then I moved to um, South Denmark to start my postdoc.
2: Okay. Okay. You're you're already I already want to go down so many rabbit holes now. Just to, <laughs> so this navy thing, was that full time or
0: yeah, I was I was a naval officer. I was um I come from a long line of um, Punjabi men in Pakistan. Punjab is a part of India and Pakistan, mm-hmm. and when when the British left in nineteen forty-seven, they partitioned Punjab and you know, Pakistani Punjab and Indian Punjab. And Punjabi men have been had been martialized by the British colonizers for, you know, 150 years. Mm. So people, you know, in in the in the area that I grew up in, young men are, you know, it's traditional for them to join the military, mm. to serve in the military, because, you know, the British told our ancestors that, you know, they were martial races and that they made good soldiers. Mm. So it's sort of, you know, that tradition that, you know, it's it's culture, it's cultural inertia that, you know, that um, people like me knowingly or unknowingly follow. And then I joined the Navy because I was, you know, I was I come from a working class family and my parents didn't have any 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 money to put me through college. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, I had to do something. So I I thought, hey, the tanking economy of a third world country, what do you do? So the job, I mean, I started looking for jobs and and the Navy's threat, uh, Navy's threat, sorry, Navy's <laughs> Navy's ad was the first one that I saw, and I yeah. applied and I got in. But you know, getting in the Navy is easy, but getting out of the Navy is not very easy <laughs> mm. <laughs> or any military. No. But then it took me like I, I served for for 15, 15, 16 years, and then I took an early retirement. And after I'd won the grant, so okay, totally different story. That's not Twitter's <laughs> mistake. <much thought. laughs>
1: okay, so you wrote a grant while you were in the navy for your PhD, or I,
0: I, I applied for a grant. Uh, yeah, I applied for a grant, uh, Fulbright grant, while I was in the navy. The first time I applied, I couldn't make it. <laughs> mm. I have a thread on that too. But the <laughs> second th- yeah, the second time I applied, I got it and th- once I got it then I said goodbye to the navy and moved to the US. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. And uh, you are doing a postdoc now, I think?
0: I am doing a postdoc. Um I my postdoc is in so the uh, University of so- uh, South Denmark has University of Southern Denmark has a center called Hans Christian Andersen Center. Uh, because Hans Christian Andersen was born in Odense, uh, in the city where I live, and Hans Christian Andersen Center has a project, multi-year project, uh, funded externally by um, by a research foundation, I think, um, that looks at Hans Christian and the the project. The title of the project is Hans Christian Andersen as World Literature, and I'm working on how. Hans Christian Andersen's stories have been read in South Asia, hmm. um, in India and Pakistan and, you know, other parts of South South Asia.
2: Hmm.
1: Oh, cool.
2: Oh, no, for sure. Can you tell us what got you initially interested in academia and I guess also uh, academic writing and what eventually led you to sort of optimize as much as you have done uh, based on Twitter, from what we can see, uh, the entire process of writing? okay so so these are like 3 to 4 questions so yeah. i'll try
0: to answer you know like one by one so yes. how i got interested in academia uh, i was in high school and i had a literature teacher and he said that he would always emphasize that you know you need to you need to do a phd hmm. he couldn't do a phd himself but he would always emphasize that you know we should do a phd and you know all his students should do a phd you know that sort of evangelical Teacher that you have, you know, in high school. Uh, not a lot of people, not a lot of students listened to him, which was very good of them. You know, <laughs> they very smart not to listen to him. But some of us, like me and a couple of others, we listened to him and we thought that, oh, oh my god, my goodness, you know. Uh, so I'm somebody who, for the longest time in his life, believed that my salvation lies in doing a PhD. Mm. You know, uh, and i had i had i was i was a naval officer i had um i was married i had a son and whenever i would meet with my teacher he would always ask me the first thing he would ask me so what are you reading these days he would say hi sometimes he would not even say hi he would say the first question so what are you reading these days And that was sort of, you know, constant over time, you know, year after year, day after day, month after month, you know, sort of, you know, inspiration. You could also call it nagging, (laughs) you know. Um, So that was my impetus that, you know, that was the impetus that led me to PhD. The other thing that I, I, I must mention here and I should talk about is that the part of pakistan that i come from and the part of social class that i come from in that social class there is no social mobility you, mm-hmm. you there is just no social mobility if you don't have a degree
3: mm-hmm. and
0: you know if you don't get an education like uh, higher education like a phd or you know even masters doesn't doesn't do much for you there is just no way that you can move socially. You know, there is no social mobility for people like us. You know, mm. you 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 would you would be born in a working class family, and your poor working class ass would die working class. You would just not. There is just no way. Mm. And I was very aware of that. You know, that social um, lack of my social privilege. Very very aware of. It. So I I thought to myself that, hey, how do I get out of this? You know, how do I become socially mobile? And so I, I joined the Navy that gave me some some you know social mobility. Not a lot, but you know, marginally better. From there, I I used that, you know, platform to to you know to learn English, to polish my English, to learn writing, and then you know, apply for grants and then go to to the US. So that's, that's how I got into academia. That's the mm-hmm. thing, you know, um, academic writing is, is a totally different story because when I was doing my PhD, I would attend, a, you know, I would attend a lot of, um, you know, I, I would attend every chance I, go, I would get, I would take a writing workshop. Mm-hmm. And for, for many years, even before my PhD, I had been reading about The process of writing. So, you know, I would very religiously read about the writing routines of writers, you know, Hemingway and Margaret Atwood and other writers, you know, this is, this I think is very important. If you want to become a writer, academic or fiction writer, you should learn and you should read about the routines of other writers and practice some of those things. See what sticks with you, what works with you. Take that and discard the rest. Yeah. This is very important because you want to learn from the masters. You want to learn from people who have perfected the craft and the writing routine. This is very important. It, during my PhD, I, I would take these writing classes and writing workshops, and then I started. While my, while I was in my PhD, Twitter was not on my radar. I didn't even have a Twitter account. Hmm. So during my PhD, I wasn't, there was no, you know, that academic writing sort of thing. But I was very keen in understanding the process and i had i had a good understanding of the process while i was writing my dissertation and and i still write you know if you go on my twitter you will see that i post a thread almost every every day but if you ask me mujtabab what is your thread going to be about tomorrow what's your tomorrow's thread i would say i have no idea i i don't know i don't know but in the evening, I'll I'll exercise from six to six thirty, six forty. I'll exercise, then I'll take um, you know a shower, and in that hour, I will have an idea. I will get an idea. I will you know that you know adrenaline and that you know uh, whatever hormones that you release during exercise, blood circulation. So in that that hour, I would get an idea. I mean, it's not that I'm totally blank. I have some idea that I, what I want to write about during the next one week, two weeks, but it's nothing is crystal. Hmm. So th- this is the same thing that I I, I had during my, my PhD. I would write for like 200, 250 words a day, and then I would forget about it. And I hmm. would have no idea what I'm going to write tomorrow. But I had a firm faith firm belief in the process and in myself. Hmm. So that was very, very helpful. Coming to Twitter now. So how do I start? What made me start? Or you said
2: something about optimization. Uh, Yeah, yeah. How did you sort of want to optimize the process of academic writing? Yeah, optimization. So
0: what happened was I started my Twitter account in in April of last year. So it's going to be one year in, on 10th of April. Hmm. I started, right, b- b- I mean, I, I didn't know what to do with a Twitter account, but then I started reading about it. And then I realized, Hey, this is Twitter is a writing genre. And I have a PhD in literary genres. Hmm. And I took, lit. I took Twitter as a literary genre, and I still treat it as a literary genre. And all my, uh, it's not obvious from threads. It's not. It may not be obvious from the prose that I write, but you know, I practice the skills that I have learned. Mm-hmm. I had learned during my you know PhD and my dissertation, dissertation writing. Um, optimization of academic writing was not this the first thing that occurred to me when I started writing on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, but I started writing about Zotero in August. Last year, because I was teaching a course in Pakistan and I wanted to teach my students how to use Zotero. They were undergrads. So I thought, you know, it's, they they would not be super interested in it, but at least they will have, at least they will know there is a thing called Zotero. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, two years down the line, they may need it. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, there is a thing called Zotero. Maybe we should use it. Yes. So I wrote a workflow like Zotero 1. So if you don't know what Zotero is, if you've mm-hmm. never even used Zotero in your life and you start with that workflow and you follow those 10, 12, 20 steps, you will have a decent understanding by the end of the tutorial. And you can do it in like 15 minutes mm-hmm. if you're a total novice. And I wrote the thread uh, for my students and then... That thread was like the first one of the first thread that went, you know, quote unquote viral. Mm. And that at the time I had like, you know, only 3000, 3500 followers. And that thread went viral. And (laughs) this is the thing that when one of your threads, when your first thread goes viral, you don't know what to do with it. (laughs) You have no idea how to respond to comments because you know, you've been writing for six months and, you know, two people respond to your comments and both of them, you know, already. <laughs> so I didn't know. I mean, I literally didn't know what to do with it. There were a lot of comments under it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know how to respond to a comment. I didn't know how to engage with a comment. I didn't know how to, you know, how to tell some, disagree with, with somebody.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So then I started following, I, I had been following this writer on Twitter called Erica Schneider she's a she's a really good writer social media writer i think she has her own agency content writing agency mm-hmm. and so i started i followed her religiously i still follow her i mean i i read her threads very very carefully you know most sometimes i don't even read her whole thread i just read two tweets and i'm like okay this is good for this week <laughs> yeah this very good you know it's uh, she has very good advice mm-hmm. so That thread went viral, and then I realized that, hey, I can write about Zotero, which was quite surprising. You know, if you think about it, it was very surprising for me. And if you tell anybody that, hey, there is an app that doesn't do academic writing, that doesn't write a paper, but it helps you format citations, Mm -hmm. and you'll be like, So imagine then writing niche that there are writers on Twitter, then there are academic writers on Twitter within academic writers. There are people who want to maybe learn Zotero. And, and, and there are like thousands of them, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So that was very surprising for me and, you know, astonishing. But then I realized that, you know, this is something that people want to learn and I can teach, you know, this is, um zotero so i i started writing about about other features of zotero then i i learned good thing about twitter is that you learn from your audience mm. so uh, people started telling me that hey have you tried research rabbit and um you know you may not even believe it now i didn't know what research rabbit mm. was you know at the time mm. and people were like hey try illicit. and somebody was like try lateral and I said, "Oh my goodness, this is overwhelming." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I didn't know. I mean, I I didn't know what what integration was. I, somebody mm. said try Obsidian. I I opened Obsidian. I dis I, I uninstalled it. I was like, "Leave it, man. <laughs> I'm not doing this Obsidian." Mm. You know, it was very overwhelming. Mm. So, but then I realized that you know I have to break it down. Then I learned about these apps, how to integrate them. Then I practiced. and I you know i would create hypotheticals so i am doing this project mostly the project that i have already done mm-hmm. so i would i would practice redoing a project or rewriting a research paper with these apps and then i would be like oh my god this is this could have saved me a lot of grief you mm-hmm. <laughs> know and time yes and then i posted so that's how like it's a very long winded answer <laughs> to your, your question
1: okay well and the next question then, of course, is how did you get into the AI tools? Because that's what I see you posting about a lot these days, of course. Uh, so how did you get started with them? Did you start with like experimenting a bit with different tools? For example, DALI, which was one of the first one for images and stuff, or did you immediately start using them for, for writing also?
0: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> So I, I don't know what DALI is, you know, um, you may find it surprising, but that's okay too. Mm. I don't have, um, I don't work with image text or image tools.
3: Mm.
0: Not that I don't want to work. It's just that I have a very, now over time, I have developed a very clear idea of what my audience likes and wants and what's not likes and wants, but what's useful for my audience. Mm. Mm-hmm. I can write about, you know, I can write about the the catchiest thing about about mid-journeys, image generation. You mm-hmm. know, I could write the catchiest thing. That doesn't add value to my audience. This is very important. You know, I you you you're serving a community, you know, so you put the community first and not what you are interested in. You know. My if I were to Write about things that I'm interested in. I would write about like five things only. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So you you cannot place your own self. I mean, you cannot take your own self very seriously. If you you know, you have to take your work seriously. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So daily, I I haven't used and I'm I maybe I will use like image um AI at some point, but I. I had been writing about some AI powered apps in january um and December, so chat Gpt was launched on thirtieth of November right
1: uh, last year I'm not exactly sure about the date, but
0: yeah, so it was launched around you know towards the end of the end of November last year mm-hmm. and I didn't you know um I didn't pay a lot of attention to it partly because of the you know because of the fact that in december i was moving house um you know my family and i we were moving from pakistan to denmark mm-hmm. and you know we were moving and we were you know pack, packing our luggage and you know tickets and everything so i w- i didn't pay a lot of attention to to chat gpt when it was launched then in january i was i had just arrived here and i hadn't paid any attention to chat mm-hmm. gpt either and and then one day, one evening, I was looking at my Twitter feed, and one of the writers that I follow, he had a good thread on on how to prompt prompt ChatGPT, mm-hmm. and that you know I uh, that was quite inspiring. So I sat down and I said, okay, let me try and let me see what I can do with ChatGPT for and as an academic, you know, how how can I use it for academic purposes?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I got up at like 4 a.m. and, you know, wrote the thread in two hours and posted it around 6, I think. And that thread was probably one of my, that thread, I think, was one of my my first threads that went, probably the only thread (laughs) that went like super viral, you know, (laughs) a thread that gets like 50,000 likes and, you know, 1,000, you know, quote tweets. And that was, then Then I realized, oh, okay, so a lot of people want to learn about this. Hmm. Writing about, writing on a social media platform like Twitter or LinkedIn or content creation on YouTube is a very, you know, is a very iterative kind of loop in that you start, you kickstart your writing and then you seek feedback. Now, feedback is not always overt. There is always covert feedback. So, which is to say that if a thread doesn't get attention, doesn't get engagement, that's feedback. That's your audience telling you that, hey, what you're writing is trash. We don't find it useful. So, I mean, they they may not say it is trash, but they'll say, hey, I don't get any value out Mm. of this thread. Yeah? So when you figure this out that the audience finds value in this kind of thread or this kind of content, then you try to provide that value, you know, but then you can't, can't be like clickbaity, you know, you can't be like, Hey, you know, I'm, if if I started writing clickbait threads today, I can assure you that uh, I will start losing followers. It's very easy. Hmm. It's very, very easy. Social media following and your audience is, you can also say that it's very ruthless business because if I stop today um, in a week my followers would you know yeah the, the growth will stagnate mm-hmm. uh, but you can also find it that it's you can also use it as an inspiration that hey um, as long as I provide value, people will find my work useful and they will interact with me If I don't provide value. I mean, nobody would care. Yeah. Which is fair enough. I mean, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things. Um, so that's how I got into AI. I mean, I had been writing about AI apps before Chat GPT, mm-hmm. but after Chat GPT, I thought, I like, how do I, you know, how do I use Chat GPT for the kind of academic purposes that I have in mind?
2: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So maybe transitioning a little bit there. So there are constantly more and more AI tools being introduced every day, and it honestly kind of feels a little bit overwhelming at times to so try and stay up to date with all of it. Do you have a yes? Do you have a system for how you manage to stay up to it, up to date with it? Uh, if you're up to date at all with it, I guess uh, in that sense, uh, what works for you? I
0: have no system. <laughs> there is no system. I thrive on chaos. <laughs> nice. I have no system. Uh, I have no content schedule. I don't have any system which is I should have these things, but i am I have not been in the this Twitter game long enough to have these systems in place. See what I mean mm-hmm. um, I try to stay up to date. Here is what I will tell you about staying up to date. You have to once you've written. Long enough in in a particular genre. So, you know, my genre of writing on Twitter is a tutorial. is a tutorial for an app that solves a particular problem for the reader. Mm -hmm. Now, the reader may not know that I have this problem until they open my thread. They open my thread and they're like, "Oh my goodness, we had this problem. We never knew we, we could we could have solved it like this. Like for example, you have a long document you want to create a presentation out of it, and now you're stuck. That oh my goodness, I have to spend three hours of you know my work of my time doing this boring chore. Uh, but then you find something like Canva and you have a presentation in like two minutes. So then people realize, oh, this is a, oh we didn't know that we needed such a tool." Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is a, this is my genre of writing. Yeah. Uh, Once you have written in a particular genre long enough, you will experience that you become a content magnet. You know, you don't have to stay up to date. People will keep you up to date. Mm. People will tell you, Hey, this is the new thing. You're like, okay, yeah, I'll think about it.
1: So, (laughs) you know,
0: you don't have to worry about staying up to date. But then of Course, this doesn't happen overnight. You know, it, it it only happens now that I have like more than hundred thousand followers, and people think that you know Mushtag is somebody that we could talk to about AI apps. Initially, you you struggle. Initially, you you grind, you know, day in and day out. You get up and you write a thread, 10 people read it, and you know, nine of them trash it. <laughs> so, you know, you you take it in stride. There is no other way. <laughs> so um so, staying up to date is—I I don't have a system to answer your question. I don't have a system. I don't have a writing system either. I mean, I have a writing system, but I don't have a writing schedule. Mm. There are a lot of Twitter writers who teach, and you know, Twitter social media writers who teach that. You know, have a content schedule that on Monday I will write about this, on Tuesday I will write about this. I'm very mm,
2: <laughs> free flowing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm very free flowing, and I'm very unpredictable. You know, I'll be like, uh, I want to write a thread on this, but then I'll be like, I'll I'll go to the go and take a shower, and my mind is changed. I'm <laughs> like, no, I'm not. You know what I mean? So uh, it doesn't happen very often. But I try to solve a thread or solve a problem first in my head. Then I do a draft of it on on paper. Mm. Sometimes if problem is really naughty then i i solve it on paper and you know do a couple of drafts on on on, on type fully or hype fury and then mm. um these sort of things and then i post in real time i mean mm. i don't schedule my threads if my thread is posted at 5 32 a.m i'm writing at 5 32 a.m you know it's not like um i've posted for i've i've scheduled the uh the week's content mm. a lot of people do that I don't find it's not ha- it. I don't find that helpful. And then the thing is that mm. now I can very easily pick up out of my Twitter feed that which tweet was scheduled and which wasn't. Mm. And if if there's a tweet that is scheduled, I simply don't interact with it because mm. there is no fun in <laughs> it. There is no use. I will interact with it, and the writer is sleeping.
3: Mm.
0: You know, the writer uh, had posted the you know scheduled the. Tweet for engagement Mm. that you know i while i'm sleeping i should have a tweet because my twitter account looks should look busy i don't care about that Mm. i mean my twitter account looks busy because i keep it busy (laughs) Mm.
1: (laughs) so uh well we have talked already a lot about how successful you are on twitter what do you think was the most uh, important for your success was it uh, that you really niche down until you uh, for your subject that you post so regularly that you engage with your audience a lot what do you think was the most important uh, part of it
0: i think i'd have to say that you know all all of these things consistency is very important mm. this is very important you know you you are creators um, you create you have your own podcast so you would know you miss a week and you'll, your audience will tell you that you know you've missed a week will tell you, you know your graphs will tell you. and um, uh, that's what keeps you on toes. and the but the good thing that I I do is not good thing, but what I do is I set myself a very short small aims. My aims are very small. Mm. Uh, on any given day, I don't reach for I don't think of writing a thread that goes viral or that you know patches ten thousand likes. I was, you know, when I had 3,000 followers, I would write a thread and I would hope for 2,000 likes. <laughs> and I still do that. If a thread gets 2,000 likes, it's a good thread. Now, mm-hmm. uh, with 100,000 followers, it's not very difficult, but it's good. <laughs> now, ah, 2,000 people have found it useful, good enough for me. So the aim is very small because the aim is small. It doesn't overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do a lot to you know, feel satisfied. Consistency, of course. Consistency is... is, And this is... All algorithms, social media algorithms, reward consistency. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And this is one of the main reasons that I think that Twitter's... uh, That all social media algorithms are Protestant. You know, it is the Protestant work ethic that rewards consistency. Mm -hmm. You know, and in Protestantism protestantism, We have to go to church every Sunday. That is consistency. Hmm. So Twitter's algorithm, social media algorithms, if you think about it on a very fundamental level, they're deeply, deeply religious and moral. And that is the point that I wanted to make in response to Noam Chomsky's you know, New York Times article that algorithms are immoral. Well, algorithms are immoral in so far as you think capitalism is immoral. If you think capitalism is immoral, then of course, you know, then then that's a different discussion. Then then you can, and I I would agree with that too. Um, You can make an argument. I mean, I can make an argument that capitalism is immoral because um, you have to be you have to be able to afford ethics. You have to be able to afford morality. You know, morality is a commodity. It's not that if you're a rich person, you can have a lot of morality, a lot of ethics. You're a poor person you can't have a lot of morality, you know? It's just uh, not possible. So consistency is is something that is very, very important if you are a social media creator, a content creator. And this is one of the reasons that when Elon Musk bought Twitter, people were very, very upset with many things that he was doing. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And I wouldn't pay attention to anything. I mean, I was like... Elon Musk buys it or Jeff Bezos buys it or, you know, a new prophet buys Twitter. Doesn't matter. It is built on a very, on a Protestant ethic. And I understand the Protestant ethic. It cannot go outside of that, you know, um, that Protestant consistency or reward, Protestant reward for consistency. Hmm. And that also I understood because I had written a dissertation, (laughs) you know, in which I had, I looked at, you know, uh, how pro- Protestantism, or how these evangelical missionaries were um, came from Britain to India, and the kind of influence they had in India. So, I mean, if you are consistent, that's you are done. Mm-hmm. You will have, you know, you will have good following, and it's only a matter of time. If you stay consistent, it's only a matter of time before you know you go viral or, or you know community rewards you so consistency yes and then uh i i i learned to engage with my 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 audience very late uh and i learned uh you know i follow one one of the twitter uh, growth writers and he said that so always a good idea to reply um to your um comments even if it's just a simple thank you mm-hmm. and that was very good that was very good advice mm-hmm. So I started thanking people, um, which increased engagement and which made people think that, hey, he responds to our engagement. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and all of those thank yous were genuine thank yous. I mean, mm-hmm. it was not that I, <laughs> I had somebody else write those thank yous for me.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I think that it's a combination of all these things. Mm-hmm. Not fair. Um, so maybe switching a little bit again. Um, You've written a lot of threads on a lot of tools now and how to make writing helpful for for a lot uh, for academics. if someone wants to to sort of dive a little bit more into the AI landscape and try to use AI for their writing to help them be be more efficient, what would you recommend them to start with like which which thread, which tool to to start looking into first? Hm
0: That's a great question. That's a question that I never thought about. But <laughs> it's, if somebody has not tried a tool, an AI powered tool, or any tool like writing tools that I use, mm. I would suggest that they can start with a simple tool like Research Rabbit or Illicit, mm. a simple free tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Illicit uh, or Research Rabbit. And they can see how. The kind of value they 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 get out of that tool. Uh, another thing that you can do that's not an AI tool, but you can also start with Zotero. Mm. Zotero is more than a reference manager now. You know, mm. on Zotero you can take notes, you can annotate, you can do group annotations, you can collaborate with your you know uh, with your lab partners, with your co-authors. Then it has a good, very useful notepad. You know, you can use that to take notes. I mean, it's it's such a powerful notepad. You can draft a first, you can write a first draft of your journal article, you know, mm-hmm. you can have in-text citations, you can have web links. So I uh, I would say that if you, you want to start start really low stakes. Uh but now that you've mentioned it, I think here is what I will say. If you want to start using a tool you can start any you can start with any any tool writing tool but what you should not do is don't try to learn how to use a tool and exec, execute your research project hmm. so for example don't try to learn zotero while you're writing a research paper that would frustrate you it, you know imagine you're learning how to type while writing your dissertation that that would be foolish you know you first you should first learn how to type and then you know use that skill to type your dissertation and this is what i think a lot of people this is the reason that a lot of people get intim- intimidated by zotero or any other tool mm-hmm. you know and when i teach zotero i always tell people we'll make a collection and we'll call it whatever your project name is and then dash mark because you should get this thing drilled into your head that this is a mock thing. This is a mock collection. You're learning it to practice it. Mm. Uh, you're writing a, an article on Hans Christian Andersen and you're like, hey, let's start with Hans Christian Andersen folder in Zotero on day one. <laughs> you're setting yourself up, self up to failure. Mm. That's, that's no good. So choose any tool, but then choose a, take a mock project, practice learning that tool on a mock project, and then execute an, your next project using that tool hmm. you know, so yeah. patience, I think patience is the key here, yeah,
2: and okay. then eventually you will end up developing some mastery of the tool uh, as well
0: yeah if if you like it, if you think it optimizes your workflow and you know and it doesn't that's that's good too, so you know that shows that you know the tool is not for you
1: yeah. okay. we are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools.
2: Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of.
1: Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list.
2: And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny, and if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount.
1: Um, well, if you would have to name a top five AI tools that you cannot live without anymore, which one would you pick?
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have any top a- AI tools because I'm a very I'm a very task specific sort of a person. Hmm. Uh, if if an AI tool gets my task done, it's a good tool. Depends on the kind of task I have. Depends on the kind of task other people have that I want to teach. But one tool I will mention, which I really like, is CITE, S-C-I-T-E, CITE, and I've done a few threads on it too. It gives you smart citations. uh, uh, What smart citations are that, you know, it will give you, if you have an argument, it will give you how many times the argument has been cited, you know, which is nothing extraordinary, but it will tell you how many times the article's claims have been supported and by whom and where,
3: hmm.
0: and how many times the article's claims have been refuted, and by who or whom, I don't know. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: and how many times and where, hmm. the exact lines that is very, very useful. I mean, site is not a tool that is very use, that is useful in the kind of work that I do. Hmm. In literary studies, your claims hardly get, you know. Even if it gets refuted, so what? <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to die if you, if I write that Hans Christian Andersen's Andersen's first story was translated into Bengali in 1857, when in fact it was translated in 1855. Nobody's going to die of this mistake. But if there is a an argument in, say, medical sciences, and the argument is flawed and you know, nobody has contradicted that argument or supported that argument or evaluated that argument after it has been published, people could actually die of that scholarship. You know, that has very, very real consequences. Uh, So that's the thing that I like about Cite, that it gives you that, you know, it enables you to look at citations very quickly. Yeah,
1: that sounds very cool. Um, now, there are also journals who are now writing down guidelines for AI tools. For example, uh, I think Nature recently came out that you can use JetGP to, uh, to write your paper, but you cannot uh, put them as a co-author. Um, what do you think of, of these uh, things? What is your opinion about it? Um, what are good ways to use AI and what are bad ways?
0: I think I think these... The academic journals they are of course they are businesses so mm-hmm. you have to you have to think about it and and i'd say this not in a bad way um academic publishing is a business and i if i were teaching now if i were a grant director in a program i i was just in a meeting at SDU here with with a bunch of phds and postdocs and if i were a grad director here is what i would do i would i would make every humanities or at least not humanities, but every PhD, I would teach them how to write on Twitter and LinkedIn. It's very, very important. If you are a PhD scholar and you choose not to write on Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, I think that's a deliberate choice of staying poor. (laughs) Because it's, it's not very difficult to learn Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and the rewards are very high. I mean, Unbelievably, you won't even believe the kind of you know rewards the market has for you. Mm. I am trying very hard to convince people, and I think uh, I'm going to stop now because there is a lot of inertia and a lot of you know lack of interest. Mm. Uh, People don't want to learn to write, and people have this idea of prestige. So you know, and this is maybe you know you, you or your listeners could find useful, academia, and you know. These people have like journal articles, you know, I'll come to nature in a bit. So they have this idea of prestige that, you know, we, ha- we should have citations and monographs and journal articles. Social media you ha- gives you influence. It may not give you prestige, but it will give you influence. Mm-hmm. So my articles are read by 10 people, but my threads are read by thousands of people.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> so prestige is different. And influence is different. Now, prestige cannot be converted, can, cannot be automatically converted into influence. But if you're deliberate, you can convert it into influence and vice versa. You can use influence to create prestige. So I'll give you an example. Next month, I'm doing a workshop uh, at Aarhus University.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I'm doing one in Spain. Then another in Netherlands. and this month, I, this month I did one in um, University of California. All these workshops are academic work that I have obtained through my influence. Mm. So influence can re- give you prestige. Prestige can g- give you influence.
1: Yeah, no, for yeah. sure, that's also something that we've noticed with the podcast. So many opportunities come out of it. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 but you have to be deliberate about it. Now. People in in grant programs are not deliberate. That's that's I think that's a problem. Coming back to to, to sorry for the detour. <laughs> coming back to, to to nature. Now these academic publishers are businesses. You know they mm. they they are meant to create profit. They are money making enterprises. You know, mm. and if you go back to what I said earlier about Protestant ethic. Um, In Protestant ethic, making money is a virtuous thing. Mm -hmm. Running a business is a virtuous thing in Protestant ethic because you are running a business to serve a community. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have a podcast, you're serving a community. In the process, you may get advertisements and sponsorships, you know. Mm -hmm. That sponsorship and advertisements could run into, you know, a couple million dollars in a few years, you no, know, or in a few months, and you'll be like people could be like somebody like me would be hey you're cloud chasing or you're you're making money you know you're monetizing it. This is this is not a useful way of looking at it. a useful way that I think is you you serve a community and as a reward of this service you make money.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, yes. that's the Protestant ethic. So and uh, if if you you live in in a capitalist society live in the capitalist world and you don't understand the protestant ethic you will feel frustrated mm. and i used to be frustrated because i would not i could not understand how the system works mm. now i feel very comfortable <laughs> i know how things work and i know how i can work the system mm. so um nature and these publishers are business enterprises and they are of course you know making money and you know in the process serving the community also and because they are money making enterprises they they have to embrace a tool like chat gpt
3: hmm.
0: yeah? yeah or they have to embrace ai generated text and i don't think it has anything there there is any ethical problem or moral problem with it there is no problem i mean i can Ethics is, is, is you know, again, ethics is, is a commodity. Today, nature says that it's okay to write, uh, it's okay to submit um, AI-generated text, mm-hmm. but put your own name. Mm-hmm. And now it is ethical, ethical to submit AI-generated text. But a week later, nature says it is not allowed to submit even AI-generated text under your own name, and then it will become unethical. But mm-hmm. I mean ethics is not something that you know th- that's a something written in stone, you know. It's it's a very relative thing. I can become ethical depending on how I define my ethics.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so so I think that this this um, nature or these journals um, you know, a step to embrace Chat GPT or ai generated you know text i mean it had to happen i mean there's mm-hmm. nothing extraordinary about it they can't do much about it what can they do? yeah
2: yeah as long as it doesn't really impact their bottom line they're, they're they'll be okay with it in the long run i guess
0: yeah they're they're perfectly okay yeah. i mean th- th- i don't think there is any problem there there, sh- there could have been a problem or i mean i don't think there is any problem mm-hmm.
2: so maybe one last question so you've di- you dove into so many ai tools and tools in general uh not only for your own writing but like for how to help the the, the writing community to to better uh, better optimize their writing is there something you think is still missing though uh for for academics to to a tool or something a feature that's still missing for them to be able to to yeah write better that something hasn't been solved yet
0: yeah a lot of things have not been <laughs> solved i mean i i was just this morning i was talking to somebody and i said what i want is i want to have uh, a user interface and all in one sort of an interface mm. where i have a search bar and i go and i have a i have an app like um piece rabbit mm-hmm. that gives me you know that searches up articles and gives me visualizations mm-hmm. and i look them up and from there it integrates into my literature review, like a lateral like app mm-hmm. where I see these are the snippets where, you know, this connects with this, this connects with this. And, you know, I, I do that. And then I read only the those connections.
3: Mm.
0: Of course, I'll go back and read the whole papers also but to get started. I, I need to know the intersections and connections and how works are relating to each other. You know, how arguments are getting how arguments interact with each other, Mm. you know? Interesting scholarship happens at intersections, you know, not in isolation. And then then you can have a Zotero-like setup where you have the references and citations. And it's an all-in-one interface that gives you, you know, uh, that gives you sort of one-stop shop For your journal article writing, yeah, Yeah, that integrates Word, or you know, that integrates, and then it it should have a notion like, Mm. you know, writing tool Mm -hmm. that gives you prompts, and you know, that you can use. A Word is coming up with a new, you know, AI feature, Mm -hmm. and I just hope that they change the interface. (laughs) That interface is super boring. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people struggle with writing, with the writer's blog, just because of MS Word. Mm. Its interface is, I mean, opening MS Word is enough for you to kill your creativity. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Mm. And you open something like Notion and you feel like, you know, I have something to write. I don't know. I mean, I can open Notion Mm -hmm. and I can write something sitting on on the tram. Mm. I open Word and even if it's all calm and quiet and I'm in fully concentrated, I'm in my zone, I s- still struggle mm. with, with MS Word. I don't know. There is something with their with the user interface.
1: <laughs> Sounds like some past trauma with the words that <laughs> <happens>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Mushtaq. It was great to have you on the podcast. And um, if people would like to find you and follow you, can you tell them where they can do so uh
0: you can follow me on twitter my um twitter handle is mushtaq bilal phd and you can also follow me on on linkedin hmm. and you can you can subscribe to my free newsletter uh Ooh. it's called keep writing <laughs> and uh, you can find the link on my twitter it's very easy and it's free i mean <laughs> you don't have to pay anything nice
1: okay <laughs> nice. yeah. So um, if you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a a like on your favorite podcast platform uh, because that really helps our podcast grow and of course makes us very happy. If our listeners have any questions, suggestions or comments, uh, you can reach us via our website thestrugglingscientist.com and you can also check out our website for some really cool science-inspired merch and also sign up for our awesome Journal of the Struggling Scientist aka our newsletter. Uh, You can also follow us on social media, Jaron, which ones are those again?
2: Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and a little bit on Mastodon.
1: Oh, you're forgetting YouTube.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, and YouTube.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you all next time. Bye.